Hello, everybody, and welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as ever, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you tune in to today's podcast from. A um, bit of a different setting for me. I've got a, a new podcast location that I'm recording from today, and I'm delighted to say that my guest today is somebody who has her own podcast as I've just found out before we uh, began recording today and it's always lovely to be in the company of a fellow podcaster as somebody who no doubt runs a podcast with far far significant standing in the industry than this little here thing that we throw together every week or so. Liz Taylor from Taylor Lynn Corporation TLC joins us today. Liz delighted to have you on the podcast. Welcome along. Thank you very much. And it's great to be on the other side of the microphone, actually. I'm going to enjoy this the next 30 minutes. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. You're delighted to have you here. And I'm delighted straight away to see via our Zoom link today that you've got an orange um, uh, foam uh, piece on your microphone, which perfectly matches the event industry news orange branding. So you're completely on brand today uh, via video. Well, let me tell you, it's all in the detail. I did That's know. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. We don't throw don't this bullshitter, bullshitter. High production <laughs> values. Um, for those who don't know, Taylor Lynn Corporation specialising in the organisation of corporate events, private parties, weddings, high-end stuff. Liz, you're you're based in Manchester. Give us a bit of background first of all at the start of today's. Podcast yeah, I was just going to say to you, James, that I'm doing my own intro here. <laughs> can I introduce myself, please? please okay, yes. I'm Liz Taylor, and I'm the um, managing director of the Taylor Lynn Corporation. I've been in the events business since 1986 I don't want anybody doing the maths here and had an amazing journey I was probably one of the first in the northwest to actually set up an event management company and I do corporate events private events high net worth um, any event really and um, we specialize in the design organization coordination uh, delivery production of anything that we are tasked with and clients include, I've worked for Manchester United since 1995. I've been to Moscow with them all over the world, Coronation Street, lots of corporate brands, lots of high net worth individuals, and it's in my blood. So that essentially is what I do together with my podcast, which is events that made me, and a consultancy that I set up during lockdown, which we'll come on to if we've got time. Mm. And and one of the or the main reason that we've got Liz on the podcast today is is to look at the subject of, of vaccine passports as 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 we're sort of terming it. But um, this is particularly relevant today. And let me put that into context here. What today means? Um, today is the twenty third of February, uh, twenty twenty one. Yesterday there was a significant announcement by the Prime Minister setting out the roadmap towards the end of lockdown and, and the roadmap that ultimately takes the UK out of lockdown. And that was of particular interest for the events industry um, because let's face it, the industry has, has essentially been on its knees now for, for, for nearly 12 months. Um, and one thing that's been talked about with the industry, Liz, for um, several months now, probably since summer last year, very early stages of lockdown, was this idea of being able to, to potentially prove if you are not carrying the virus at any point in order to gain access to events. Um, I'm curious to maybe ask, first of all, when did you first hear of this as, as, as an idea? When did it sort of first cross your path? And um, Well, I think it's interesting. 
I think it's interesting, James, because as we all know, the event industry has been probably, together with hospitality, and we put them all under one umbrella, the worst hit. And I don't think, unless you are in the industry, that you actually understand how badly it has been hit. I, uh, it, it's been muted from the very beginning once, you know, once we understood the severity of what was happening and the implications, then all options were put on the table by those of us in the industry. My view, I, my view is mixed, really. I think that um, if you roll the clock back many, many, many years, you know, we had the plague in London and we had flu, which was an epidemic and flu we've li we live with. And I think that we will live with, with this eventually. I think that whilst the government have been heavily criticised, I'm not quite sure that anybody could have got it right. And I think that the national health um, have just uh, endorsed everything that we all ever really thought. I mean, we've got the best national health service system. And without their cooperation, I'm not really quite sure where we would all be. But in light of that, they're rolling out these vaccines, you know, millions and millions and, and and that is going to be the saving grace to have a to have I'm not quite sure how realistic it's going to be when you have a um a, a conference or an exhibition to expect everybody to bring some sort of authority identification or however you want to call it to prove that they have either had the vaccine or that they've got a negative, that they're negative. So I think there's going to be have to have to be some compromise in how they deliver it. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose with an exhibition, it can be as we just you and I were discussing before we actually started this podcast. It can be part of the ticketing process, but it's mm. going to be very hard to actually um, to when I say prove. You know, we're not going to we we will not know. I think the vaccine authorization is probably more realistic than the COVID testing. Yeah, indeed, in terms of being able to prove that you've had the vaccine rather than prove that at any given point you are negative of, of the virus. Correct, correct. And I think it's the same with flu. You know, how many times have we been? How, I know for me, I've, you know, dragged myself onto Confex or one of these exhibitions feeling rubbish, coming down with the flu and think, well, you know, I'll take two Neurofen, I'll be fine, I need to go. <laughs> yeah. And it's the, it's the same. It is the same. It's, it will be exactly the same uh, once we have it completely under control. Indeed. And again, to put it into context, because we're never quite sure when people are going to listen to any episode of the podcast because they're all available. Um, uh, but of course, put, putting it into direct context of where we sit today, there has been stuff in the, new, in, the, in the news this morning from the health secretary, Matt Hancock, saying that this virus is something that we're going to learn to have to live with like we live with flu. You know, we have to get it to a level where we can live with it every winter time people go and have their winter flu jab if they're in a vulnerable category and um it does look like that's that's the scenario that we're moving towards um if we take your um a, a opinion if i can call it that that it's maybe easier to prove if you've had the vaccine that's a more likely scenario um rather than proving that you are negative or, or testing negative at any point there is Bear with uh, me we have a technical hitch just hold the line caller please we're, we're, we're holding the line while liz um while liz thank you sorry i'm here i'm back, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, that the, there is there is a counter argument to the whole sort of vaccine passport or any sort of certification that from people who say it's discriminatory. You know, people have a right to not have the vaccine and to choose not to have it for whatever reason they that they have. Um, and by going down the route of vaccine passports or some proof that you've had the vaccine, you are essentially excluding people who have chosen of their own volition not to have the vaccine. What would what's your particular opinion on that and how it could potentially exclude people? I think um, I don't think that they are being excluded. I think they're probably choosing to be excluded. I mean, there's got some common sense has to prevail here. You know, we've had a national pandemic. Um, uh, Tens of thousands of people have lost lives. The, we all know the, the, the effects that we've had to live with for the last 12 months. Yeah. I think that if by having a vaccine passport or have a, however you, I mean, listen, we all walk around with a national, our national insurance number. You know, I walk around and you, this is your cue here, James. I walk around with my senior rail card cue. I, I, what a delightful thing to have. No, you're not meant to say that. You meant to say, "Oh my sure, God, you surely, got, surely, surely not, Liz." Exactly. Surely, thank you. Surely you cannot. Thank God, you're a bit qualify. slow there. <laughs> but so I think you know. You we walk around. We we have a vaccine, a a, a, a card, a, a card that we show. If you choose not to have the vaccine, then then so be it. But everything comes with consequences, and I don't think that it's fair to put other people at risk because of other people's choices. So we're not saying you have to do this and you have to do that, but it's like anywhere where you want to gain entry. I mean, I think you've got to think of it realistically. There will be people going to these events and going to these seminars and going, you know, in the industry, 10,000s of people walking through a door and there will be vulnerable people there. There'll be people with asthma. There will be people with underlying health issues that have had the vaccine and they have to be protected. And I think that we all have to protect society. So, you know, your choices, you, you make your choice and, uh, and and you live with the consequences. Well, and, and, and if I can offer a personal opinion on this, um, I, I gave it some thought last night and, and I likened it to that there are already examples in life of this scenario presenting itself where there is a choice and a consequence. Um, the one that I, I felt was the closest was when the smoking ban, the indoor smoking ban was brought in a few years ago. The, the, the choice of somebody to smoke wasn't taken away from them. They were simply told that if they wanted to smoke, they now had to do it outdoors so as not to put people who choose not to smoke indoors at risk. Um, and I think that my personal opinion is, is that the, the, the vaccine passport idea is not taking away anybody's right to choose not to have the vaccine if they choose to go down that route that that's their prerogative um it is simply a consequence that if you choose to do something that potentially puts other people at risk you are therefore forfeiting the rights to be able to gain access into certain events um i think the similar thing could be said loosely for for things like flying if you attempt to board a flight and you're absolutely drunk out of your skull they can stop you from getting on that flight nobody's taking away your right to drink um, they're simply saying that if you choose to do so to that extent before getting on a flight, you may not be able to get it. Um, so I think we live with examples like this in life already. Um, and that, that's a personal opinion that, you know, if somebody chooses not to have the vaccine and they can't go to an event as a result of it, then 
potentially so be it that's your choice i agree and i you know it's i think you also have to look at what it's cost us what it's cost the health service what it's cost the government we're not asking anyone to pay for it mm-hmm. you know we're giving it and it's there to protect you mm-hmm. and protect others and so yeah you know i i i i'm not a believer that we are withdrawing a right by um, not allowing somebody access to an event that has certain, um, you know, th- that comes with certain, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, James, here? Help me, because I know we don't edit Constraints. this. Constraints. Correct, that's it. Just checking that you're listening. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so that's my view in a nutshell. Yeah, we don't want to constrain people. Um, I mean, one thing that I am... Um... Uh, I'd like to ask you is is particularly given the nature of the the clients that you service you know significant brands like you said high net worth people who you know uh, uh, you know probably got very high profile audiences in attendance is the implementation actually at ground level i.e at the front door of an event of being able to to to, to manage this effectively because one thing as an organizer that you don't want to do is hinder the experience that your guests and your audiences and your attendees are getting by attending the event that you're organizing do you think that we're in a position where we can actually facilitate something like these sort of checks at the front door of an event i think um this is a very it's a very interesting question this because i think there are you know there are different um restrictions for different events Uh, as we've all learned you know there will be there will be clauses in terms and conditions there will be insurance restrictions the host if we're talking about a private event the host will be totally responsible for the the well-being of those guests under these circumstances now i have something like 50 million pounds worth of public liability cover so if you tripped over a light uh, a battery operated light in my marquee i am responsible for that and and consequently so is the production company so the guest if the guest was to claim claims through us and we are responsible mm-hmm. but for something like covid the client becomes responsible and i think that and in fairness um, you know, we have next year a significant amount of business in the books, which some remnants from this year and somewhere people have said, when this is over, you know, we're going all out, we're going to party. And they all expect it. They know that they have to be responsible. In order to protect the client, I can then come up with some suggestions. So I can say, look, you know, in the invitation pack, which is 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 designed and and bespoke for the for the event, let's put something in about uh, we either send out uh, a lateral test, or we say, you know, you are responsible for your own health and well-being, and 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 so we can include it so that they are aware that they need to be sensible. I also think that we all have, most of us have families and you want to protect the families. So it's not like you don't think, well, oh, I'm not bothering with this, you know, I'll be fine. I haven't caught it yet and I won't catch it now. I think people will be far more sensible. 
I think in a corporate event, the client has the responsibility of their employees. Mm -hmm. And I don't think in that, in, in that instance, if you're doing a recognition event or a big Christmas party, I think it has to be incorporated in the message that goes out that they are either responsible themselves for their health and well-being, the, the, the company will not be responsible because it's very difficult. You know, we do somewhere you've got 800 in a room mm -hmm. or 1,000 in a room. And we do a lot of Asian private events, the weddings and the culture huge. is such that huge. they're huge. Yes. So somebody has to be responsible and that somebody really has to be the guest. And it's just implementing and thinking it through. And I reckon that within, within a month, if not before, of this industry getting back on its feet, which is after the 21st of June, hopefully, Fingers there crossed, will, yes. exactly, there will be um, systems, there'll be paperwork in place for everyone to protect each other. Yeah, and, and what your 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 comment there was comments there were, were, were echoed again this morning by various ministers who are saying that you know very much there will be a a moral responsibility amongst you know the population, not just of the country but of the world, to to be more aware of this going forward. That that the hand hygiene that we've implemented you know in the last twelve months. I certainly last summer was saying, is it such a bad thing that suddenly people are so aware of cleaning their hands? You know, this is something that needs to be carried, you know, post pandemic as well. You know, sanitization as you walk into somewhere where you're going to sit down and have a meal. Well, that's probably not a bad thing, um, irrespective of COVID, you know. And I think that there is going to be this, definitely this moral responsibility on people, isn't there, to to be aware of their surroundings. Yeah, and, and, and also, James, I think that, you know, air travel, we should have been wearing masks for ages. OK, so you go on a long haul and maybe you, you have a certain amount of time that you can you choose to take it off. It, um, But I do think it makes sense, you know, uh, we live, unfortunately, in a polluted world and you're cramming 354 people onto, in, into a vehicle. Yeah, we should wear a mask. You know, you should wear a mask on the train. On the train. It might not be obligatory, yeah. but I think it's something that should be accepted. And um, it, the, it will, the world will change. I think we'll be, you know, we've often laughed because the chat. <gasps> the hotline. Hold so, on. Ladies Hold and gents on. of the podcast, that's the TLC Taylor Lynn Corporation hotline. Hello. We'll see who's on the phone any second now. This could be important. This will be, be the most bizarre podcast you've ever hosted. I'm sorry. I, but I, I, I can assure you, if you refer back to anything between episode one and 30, you will find it's by far Am I not, all right? the, not the not the most bizarre podcast <laughs> we've ever done. I've got shares in Amazon since lockdown. And me and what's his name? Uh, whatever his name is. Anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, and I think that I, I, I don't think it should be necessarily be obligatory, mm -hmm. but I think you'd be a bit bloody stupid if you didn't learn from what we've been through. I think, and... I think you raise a very, very good point here because how many times have you stepped off a flight and a couple of days later you feel full of cold, stuffy, you know, a bit of an achy neck and you think, oh, again, bloody flights every time. I know, you know, I've got an uncle and he can't fly anywhere, short haul, long haul, medium haul, it doesn't matter. He will get a cold off the back of it. You know, we're breathing recirculated air in a tube. 
A hundred percent. And 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 how many times have you gone into a cafe and said, you know, I'll have a cheese on toast, and they don't put gloves on, and they, you know, and and they're handling food and they're handling drinks. So it's not rocket science. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm very open-minded. I, you have to be in this industry. But what it has taught me is that, and I've always felt a responsibility to my suppliers. My suppliers have worked with me for over 30 years and they've been loyal and respectful. And together we've built my brand. And so I am very aware of their support and importance in my business. But if I'm really honest, this had never crossed my mind, their health and well-being. You know, it's like, oh, come on. You know, I had a late night or I don't feel, oh, well, get the bloody, get the truss up. You know, I need that lighting rig up by four o'clock. You know, you, you, you're pushing and pushing and pushing the whole time. Yeah. But it now has made me think, um, not just about wearing masks and not just about washing hands, but generally about health, well-being, time management. Um, it's all so important and my days changed completely i yeah. used to get up in the morning and if i wasn't in the office by half past eight i used to think the entire world would collapse and wall street would be on its knees <laughs> and that was and i run every, every single day and now i um i've sold my office building uh, i'm working from home with a smaller team still doing exactly as much as much as i did before but i get up I go on my treadmill every single morning. I run all the shit off and then I have a shower and I'm, I'm in my kitchen at half past 10 and I stay here till eight o'clock at night. But yeah, I feel better. Well, the, 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 the well-being uh, discussion is another one, not entirely, but it's a, I'm really pleased you've raised it because on the podcast before we have spoken about well-being. It, it, it was a subject in the, that was getting a lot of coverage in the events industry pre-pandemic, you know, physical and mental well-being within the industry. And I think you're absolutely right to point it out as something that we need to continue awareness of because, you know, exhausted people who've worked a 12-hour shift humping equipment into the loading area of an event venue and then building a stage and a set, etc., that it's it's proven you know it's scientific fact their immune systems will be weakened if they are absolutely exhausted if they haven't eaten well if they haven't hydrated during that period of time if their immune systems are weaker they're more likely to pick something up so it's not just the case of hand washing and sanitizing and maybe proving that you've had a vaccine you're right to point out that there's we have to ex carry on this wider um what's the word awareness of well-being in the industry as a whole um, i think it's a wake-up call yes. you know the vaccine is not the be-all and end-all the vaccine isn't going to save the world the vaccine is protecting us from another flu which unfortunately hit us like a bolt out of the blue mm -hmm. but it's opened it's you know it's opened eyes it's opened windows um it's done it it has done an awful lot and i think that anybody that chooses not to have the vaccine really needs to consider unless they've got a really really valid reason they need to consider the implications which it, to me, it just doesn't make sense. But, you know, that's yeah. that's their prerogative. And I suppose the best best case scenario is that if enough people do have it, then they are protected from the virus, to, you know, as well as the vaccine will do, will protect from people who've chosen not to have the vaccine. And because the vaccines are proving at the moment 
to significantly reduce transmission, people who choose not to have the vaccine are in some respects protected from by those who have had it. So there is, you know, dare I say, herd immunity sort of developing um, if we can get it past a point. But um, again, I, I don't want to take away or, or devalue anybody's right to choose whether they do or don't have the vaccine, because to me, that's very much like taking away somebody's right to choose if they do or don't drink or if they do or don't smoke you know that they're, they're, they're legal to do so but i think it goes back to this point about saying that if you do choose to take that route there is a scenario that presents itself where you may have to forfeit being able to do yeah certain, I, certain things i also think you know that there are ways that we can introduce this protection um uh quite sort of it doesn't ha you don't have to wear a stamp on your forehead that says I have been vaccined. Thank you. You know, yes. I would be quite happy to carry something um, that just confirmed it, you know, got me easy access wherever I want to go, or it just takes a lot of stress out of everyday life because I know I've had it and I've got proof that I've had it. And um you know, it would be a shame if you ended up on the tube and you had segregated carriages for people that didn't have it. I mean, that's not going to happen. It's just not feasible. It's not possible. But the, in order to ensure that this industry comes back all singing, all dancing, and I'm talking about, you know, all the exhibitions for all the different all the different industries, the car industry, the hospita hospitality, the ho the holiday. I mean, everything has been so. Um, so severely affected that we need to take every precaution possible to make sure that we can all up and run again. And the other thing, James, and I'm probably waffling on a little bit here, but I have, um, I've got four grandchildren. My, my, the eldest one Surely is... Surely not. <laughs> You've got it. By George, he's got it. <laughs> he's got it. Um, yes, I have. And the eldest one is going to be seven on Friday. And I worry for them, really worry. I've got two that live in New York and, and two that live in London, and they are the future. And it's a tough old world out there. The days when you wanted the kids to go to university and be a, go into a profession, whether it be, I mean, it's very different. The event industry 30 years ago hardly existed. And it's now one of the biggest industries in the U in in the UK, well, in the world probably, yeah. And you know, you've now got university courses. I mean, it's huge, but it worries me that um, unless we get all our ducks in a row and learn from this, then their future will be very uncertain. Yeah, I, and and I, I'm hopeful. I'm a I'm a I'm a pragmatic optimist, is how I describe myself. Um, that. No, I've got two teenage sons. They you are, haven't. I, well, thank you very much, Liz. Um, yeah, I've got two teenage sons, one of whom is going to be packed off to, to uni in September this year and the other one who is in the middle of his GCSEs. They are acutely aware of everything that's going on. You know, they, uh, I, you know, I'm very, very proud of the fact that they're very aware of, of what's happened over the last 12 months. I've no doubt at all that when the eldest goes to uni, he will take you know, the, the necessary precautions, no pun intended, going off to uni, but, you know, washing the hands, being aware of stuff. He's actually going to do music-related studies, you know, record, production and recording and, and songwriting. So he will be in and around venues and and um, and places. And, and I think, actually, we don't maybe give the younger generation the credit that they deserve sometimes of being 
as aware as they are of, of what's happening at the moment. I think we've, um, we're, know, quick, we're quick to damn them when they when they go off and do stupid things like get drunk in the park in groups of 50, like they did last summer, and we saw examples. But the flip side to that is a lot of young people who are aware of what's happening and I think will carry what they've learned in the 12 months into the next generation. Yeah, I, I would. I Yeah, I would like to hope. I would like to think so. And um, it, it's very difficult. You know, we've all wanted to let off steam. I mean, we've been locked up um, under restriction for I don't know how many months out of 12 months. So I get it um, that we've all wanted to go into the park and get pissed and, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I do. And I hope that I hope that out of this, there is a lesson that the next generation learn from and um and, and we live in a in a healthier um better world and, and, i should really I, be in the government shouldn't i, I mean i could should. i, th I, I think... could couldn't i could go and be one of these you know standing uh, yeah, at that desk uh, yeah I'll, 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 my hair's absolutely. a bit like boris's yeah i'll support you if you run for office <laughs> get, 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 get in there yeah i'll carry a briefcase around can i carry a red briefcase just behind you yeah right? with my vaccine passport in it you know going back to, to to the to the industry that, that we both work in uh, again one thing that i've always said is that the industry in the uk particularly is always been a pioneering industry globally the UK events industry is often looked at by the global events industry and what we do in this country I think is often reflected in other countries and I think that it again presents a great opportunity for the UK events industry given the success the current success of our vaccination program and the, the speed that it appears to have gone through and, and, and appears to be gathering you know they're hoping to have all adults vaccinated now with the first jab by July this year I think it gives us a really good opportunity as an industry to again show showcase the UK events industry and what we can do, how to do it right. Um, there's huge opportunities there for people once we do get back. It's very, it's interesting, you know, because when I first started all those years ago, there used to be a, an exhibition in America called the Special Event. It's called the Special Event Show. It's probably before your time, and there was a magazine associated with it. And every year it was in a different place. It was New York, Florida, Dallas, or wherever. And I went to Houston, and I went to Dallas, and I think I went to one other. And it was mind blowing. Nobody did it like the Americans. And and obviously, at all those years ago, it was very at that time. It was very much the private sector that were the at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm Jewish. In the Jewish religion, you've got all the bar mitzvahs and the bat mitzvahs. You knew that at 13, they were going to have an event. And 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 that sort of you know edges you into the world of events. And they showed they were building golf courses in in you know in these mega hotels in New York. I mean, it was off the scale, and I, I vividly I vividly remember, and it's always resonated with me. I thought, you know, my God, will we ever be able to do anything like that? And isn't that amazing? And no one had ever thought of working with a set designer. It was off it was off the scale. It has all turned. We are way ahead of everybody. I've been flown over to New York to work for a corporate. I've been flown over to um, uh, 
Casablanca and Marrakesh to work for corporates. We are, and I think it's, I, I don't think it's the fact that we're more creative, I think, because I think that's in you or it isn't in you. You know, your perception of down the yellow brick road would be very different from mine, but it's a creative thing. But I think we British are know how to, we know how to operate. You know, we have morals, we have scruples, we have we have business ethic. Um, and I think that it's just amazing how it's grown. And now the UK is the world leader in the event industry. I believe that. Absolutely. Yes. You you know, you look at all the, 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 the all the destinations that come to the UK to encourage us to go over there or they want to come here. It's all you know, it it's a very um, uh, oh, I can't think of the word um, reciprocal. It's a, it's very, very yes. reciprocal. But we, what you know, what we say, I believe, goes. So that's my pitch for the UK event industry. Yeah, I would, I would add to that that, that the British have always been great problem solvers, engineers. We've always had great engineers. You know, you look back to you know Brunel and you know Stevenson. You know, hundreds of years ago. But as a, as a, as a as a people we've always been great engineers and problem solvers and i think those two aspects alone serve the event industry brilliantly you know and like you said it's maybe not maybe not be the most creative but we can bring to life somebody else's creative vision better than any other industry yeah i agree with you and we are great problem solvers because as you know as well as i know that in this industry this the word no doesn't exist mm. um i always used have said to my girls don't come into my office with no come into my office with this is the way we're doing it because it's a very different approach so mm. yeah i mean i'm you know i'm i'm proud of uh, yeah, i am proud of of my peers and and what we do and i just think i see this not as a positive because it would be unfair to people that have suffered over the last 12 months but i see it as a very constructive learning curve that i think if applied correctly can only benefit moving forward Absolutely awful lot we can learn. Can I ask, just to, on on a, a slight tangent and getting away from COVID passports, you mentioned something earlier about, um, you, you know, big parties and, you know, they want to come back and they want to party hard. I, I've asked the question now for a few months as to as to how the public are going to enter back into events. It's one thing having an events industry that's desperate to come back, but you've got to have the confidence amongst the people who actually come to your events. Um if I had to sort of say, what's your gut feeling at the moment? Do you think that attendees and audiences will dip their toe back in gradually? Or do you think that they are that desperate for a good old knees up that when the time comes and they're allowed to do so, do you think they will they will come back with a bang? Especially when I look ahead to sort of the autumn and, and winter time this year, Christmas parties, you know, end of year dues. Do, do you think they will come back with a flourish? No, I think I think they will, but I think it will take time. And when this all happened in last year, my view was that we would see absolutely nothing until the summer of 2021, and I was bang on. And now I actually don't think we'll see anything significant until 2022. I think people will dip their toe in the water, but I think there are very different things to consider. Um, I work with uh, with 
um, Victoria Warehouse in, in Manchester and they're yes. putting on, the, the, the guy that owns it, James Cohen, is putting on some outdoor events and we've been working over the past few months together to look at how we can deliver these and they were going to be socially distanced and we were looking, we've looked at locations and fields. Well, now we know that come 21st of June, we can do it. We have got two or three, uh, two or three venues in place and, and it will be, you know, live music outside, food vans and, and will be very well attended. But I don't think, you know, Glastonbury is cancelled. I don't think that's going to reopen this year. I don't think it can. I think we still have to be mindful that there has to be some element of, um, of social distancing. Um, as you say, the washing of the hands. We can't just open the gates to a field and say to 1500 people, right, off you go, you know, have a party. And I think we'd be foolish to, because I, I, I think the what you know the outcome could be disastrous. I think that is also. I think Christmas parties will. I think they'll happen, but I think it'll probably be where you might have had five hundred or eight hundred. They'll do it in divisions. So if I, you know, I, I work for an insurance company based down in London, instead of having 400 people in one room or in a marquee, they might have different departments and they'll take 80 here or 100 there. Yes. And I think I would encourage them to do that. And it's the same with the private events. Whereas, I, you know, you might have an 18th or a 21st. People will think about how it's delivered so that, we, it shows not just for everyone else to see, but for your own peace of mind. I don't want to be stood there at two in the morning with my heart in my mouth, thinking that I'm putting people at risk. Mm. Uh, you know, my, it, I'd be finished. So I think it will come back. In answer to you, the short answer to your question is, I think it will come back slowly. I yeah. don't think we're going to open the gates and everyone's going to run and have a party. Yeah, I, I, and it's, it's interesting you said that because I did, I did say that for the festival industry, and what I, I, I'll give a plug here. Actually, we're going to be speaking on on uh, uh, either the next episode or a couple of episodes time on the podcast to Nick Morgan from We Are the Fair, um, uh, uh, who has been in the media, you know, quite frequently um, over the last sort of six to to, to eight months. Um, and they have a, a huge presence within the festival industry, particularly. And it'd be interesting to get his take on that side of things, because I've said that this situation over the last 12 months presents an opportunity for smaller boutique events. You know, um, I, I, nobody wants to see the end of huge, large scale events. We all want to see them come back. But by the same token, I think we have to maybe appreciate and acknowledge that audiences may just feel safer, certainly in the short to medium term, going to smaller events. And I think that presents an opportunity for, for potential, you know, independent festivals, smaller festivals, smaller outdoor events, boutique events. Um, I think all of that is opportunity for lower numbers to gather and, and still have a, a great time. Absolutely. And I, and I actually don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I think for the industry, you know, for boutique venues, smaller venues, all of a sudden, you know, they're up there and, and they're getting a, a piece of the action, a piece of the mm. pie. Yeah. And I think that with the festivals, it, it makes sense. You know, we're not saying that we're not doing them, but everything become, it becomes a bit more exclusive. And I don't yeah. think that's a bad thing. No, absolutely. Um, Liz, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank um, you. Have I gone over? The, have we gone no, over no, the no, time? No, no, not, not at all. We're not out of time. But, but what I'd like to say is, can you come back on again? Oh, would you? Would you be? Would you? Because what I'd like to do, if it, 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 I'd love in a few months, particularly because 
as we said earlier on in today's podcast, we're, we're recording this on the 23rd of February. Yesterday, the 22nd, it was a, the roadmap out of lockdown was announced. Now, if all goes to plan, as we as Liz has mentioned a couple of times, the 21st of June is a key date because that's when we think that's that that could be the end of it. But of course, what was made clear yesterday is that those dates during that roadmap can get pushed back at any point if they feel that there's a need to do so. So I think maybe in two or three months time, we may have a better and a clearer picture on this. And I'd love to see what you guys are up to and how things are shifting in your with your business and with your clients. And maybe to get a feel for what is happening amongst audiences and the people that you're working with, Liz, if you if you'd like to come back on and share some more thoughts with us. I'd absolutely love to. And I like the I would love the opportunity as well to discuss the consultancy business, the Liz Taylor Consulting, which I set up over the last 12 months, which um, and we'll save that because that supports the hospitality industry. So one of my clients is is Gary Neville and Ryan Giggs, and we and I work with them on activations and the branding for their hotels and their restaurant, Tom Kerridge, and that all evolved from this and what rather than pivot and go virtual which everyone a lot of people did yes. I was very convinced that live events rule and I wanted to focus and put my energies into that and so that was how the consultancy was born and I'm really excited about it because the two go hand in hand so Providing I have time, James, in my very busy, busy schedule, I would be delighted to. We'll, 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 we'll pivot around you, Liz. You Thank let us you. know when is a good time. We'll speak to you again in a few months. Um, if anybody wants to find out a little bit more about Taylor Ling Corporation, tlc-ltd.co.uk, tlc-limited.co.uk is their website. And I'm sure if you search the social media platforms, Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and all of that, you will find uh, the Taylor Link Corporation um, and see what those guys are up to and uh, Liz Taylor from TLC has been our guest today Liz it's been a pleasure having you thank you very much for joining thanks us thanks a million thank you if you're watching today's podcast on the eventindustrynews.com website head over to your favourite podcast download platform and you can tap into all of the previous episodes of the podcast and listen to them while you're taking your daily exercise at the moment during lockdown um, and tune in some of those early episodes where you'll hear car crash interviews as I fumbled my way in the early days of how to host a podcast. Of course, if you are listening to the podcast via one of those podcast platforms, head over to eventindustrynews.com and check out some of the latest news, features, interviews and previous video podcasts that we have done. And that brings us nicely to the end of today's episode. As I said, keep your uh, eyes and ears peeled for that episode in a couple of weeks or in, within the next couple of weeks uh, featuring Nick Morgan from We Are The Fair where we're going to be talking about the festival industry and where we think that's going to be going in, uh, in the next few months and what's happened over the last 12 months but for now once again our thanks to Liz Taylor and thanks for tuning into the podcast. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.